The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation He provides for all who submit to Him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us here on The Way BK podcast. Um, we've been away for a little bit, kind of on hiatus for a variety of reasons, but we're going to try to be jumping in to the book of Deuteronomy. This year, we've been following a reading plan that emphasizes particularly the Old Testament history books with some other tie-ins and Psalms, and we'll do a little bit in the New Testament later on in the year. So we're here at the book of Deuteronomy, which is a really significant book, an important book, an encouraging book, a convicting book, uh, and kind of ends the first portion of scripture that's kind of the seedbed for the rest of the Old Testament, certainly, and leads us to the gospel. Galatians chapter 3 even says that the the Torah, the law, was the tutor or the trainer that got us ready for faith in Christ. So this stuff is really helpful and instructive for us today. So before we actually get into Deuteronomy, we're going to talk a little bit about where Deuteronomy fits in in the context of this earliest part of Scripture in the Torah, which includes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and is capped off with Deuteronomy. So, Caleb, uh, what do you think just about, I don't know if you want to jump right into kind of, we're going to go back and look at the other books and kind of some just general big picture stuff about them and then leading up to Deuteronomy. But I don't know, any thoughts you have just about Deuteronomy's fit in with that or you want to dive right into Genesis or uh, what you thinking? Yeah, well, one thing, um, this word Deuteronomy just uh, broken down is just the second giving of the law. And so what you're going to, what we're going to find in this particular book is um, basically a recap of what we've seen already in the Torah. Um, And so, uh, so a lot of Deuteronomy is going to be reminding the people of things that that God has already uh, done for them and also things that God has already taught them. That's a great point. And which, which fits in with this idea of this isn't, these aren't just five random books. They all are directly linked to each other. They lead into each other. And, um, and like you said, Deuteronomy is kind of a recap of a lot of this stuff. So, so that's why, so let's go back through and just kind of, we'll briefly spend a couple minutes on each of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers big picture stuff, why the book's special, um, maybe even value for reading it. I don't know. And how it fits in with the context. Uh, so you want to start with, uh, with Genesis? Yeah. So, um, so Genesis, uh, is the book of beginnings. It's also the book of generations. Um, it's the book of, uh, the, it's, it's a book of origin stories, right? And so you get the story in Genesis one of creation. And the big thing that the, that the scripture emphasizes in the creation stories is about the goodness of God. Um, of course, there's lots of qualities of God that are stressed, you know, um, th- through those stories, his power, his might, his wisdom. Um, but, but the thing that the author stresses the most is that everything that he makes is good. Um, and then even the one thing that is not good, it's not good for man to be alone. God fixes that by creating uh, a partner for man in chapter in Genesis chapter two. Um, he creates uh, a woman who will be uh, a helper for the man and will complete the man. And so the picture in the beginning is that God creates the world 
and he creates all of the uh, the creation, all of the animals and mankind, and everything that God made was good. Um, of course, everything changes in Genesis three. Somebody said if if it hadn't been for Genesis three, the Bible would have ended at Genesis two. Um, you know, brilliant. I know. Yeah, um, but yeah, yeah, but nonetheless, um, everything changes in in Genesis three when man sins, and when man sins, when mankind sins, um, all the things that God created to be good in this world. Um, they are broken and ruined to the point where there's all sorts of evils, um, curses that come out. Whereas God begins the, uh, the creation of the world with just blessing upon blessing. Now in Genesis 3, there are lots of curses that are put both on man and both on, both on man and woman uh, on the ground, even on the earth. Uh, the whole world, the whole creation is, is impacted by um, man's sin. Uh, and and put in corrupted and 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 uh, uh, subjected to futility and frustrations and pains and hardships and of course the greatest consequence of all this is is death. The God God created the world for there to be life. Now because of sin there is death. And 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 another important thing to to point out is uh, Genesis because of Genesis three the perfect fellowship and the perfect um, oneness and the perfect relationship that man had with God is broken. Um, the mankind is kicked out of the garden. Um, and from that point on, there's this separation between, from, uh, between man and God. So, and really the rest of the Bible is going to be the story of how God fixes that. How can uh, a holy and righteous God um, you know, have a relationship with unrighteous and sinful humans. How is God going to bring these wicked people back into his presence again? Um, and, uh, and Genesis kind of gives us some glimpses of that. There's lots of stories uh, after this, you know, if things don't get better, they get worse uh, over time. And, and, and really, um, from Genesis 3 on all the way down through Genesis 11, it's just story upon story of, of, of sin, the effects of sin, how sin spreads and, and brings these curses across the earth until you get to like the, the uh, climax of the sinful point with the, with um, the tower of Babel um, where God levels the levels, the um, the levels, the, the arrogance of the people scatters them across the world, divides them um, and uh, scatter, scatters them and makes them speak different languages. So they can't even understand each other. Um, so things are really, really bad in the first uh, section of Genesis, um, the story of the, of the world, Genesis 1 through 11. But in Genesis 12, God then starts to uh, renew and fix um, all everything that's wrong in the world. And he does so by making these promises to this man, Abraham. And one of the, one of the big themes through the rest of the book of, of Genesis is that in spite of Abraham's failures, in spite of all of Abraham's family's failures, in spite of all the evil that they do, God has a way of turning even evil into good. Uh, you get to the end of the book of Genesis, and, and one of the last things that's said in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 50, is uh, this conversation where Abraham's grandson, Joseph, is speaking to his brothers who had sold him into Egypt, who had ruined his life. You know, they'd done everything uh, imaginable to uh, destroy his world you know, cut him off from his father who he was close to, 
cut him off from all his family, made him a slave. He ended up spending a lot of time in slavery, then in prison. Um, but actually, as a result of his slavery and his imprisonment, Joseph ends up being in the right place at the right time to be put in position of power to save not only Egypt from a famine that was coming, but also to save uh, the whole ancient world. Um, people were coming from all over. And so as a result of that crazy story, but he ends up reconciling uh, with his family. And, and, and after his father passes away, um, Joseph is, um, Joseph's brothers, when they find out that their father's dead, are scared. They think Joseph's now going to kill him. Maybe they, he was just patient with them while the father was alive. And actually, Joseph says this um, to them in Genesis chapter uh, 50. He says at, uh, in verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. And I really think that's kind of a good overall summary of the book of Genesis. God creates the world good, man ruins it with evil, but then God works through all that evil to bring about good and to preserve many people alive. And that kind of gives you hope that the rest of the Bible story is not all going to be dark and, and, and ugly and despair. There will be a lot of that, but that there's hope that God can even work in the midst of evil to bring about good. Yeah, which is a really important story because not only in the Bible do we see a lot of evil, we see a lot of evil all the time around us of various kinds. That's right. All right, cool. So Genesis, so basically what you're saying is if we're going to kind of summarize the message of the book of Genesis, it may be found in that line from Joseph. Man meant it for evil. God meant it for good to bring about the salvation of many. So, yeah, which I think feeds right into, and really the book of Exodus begins wanting us to think, oh, it feeds right into it because it starts out after the death of Joseph. So it's almost like, hey, remember that story you just got done with? All right, here's kind of the next part of the saga, you know. Right. Um, Israel ends up in slavery. They're there for a long, long time, for hundreds of years. They grow into a powerful ethnic group, but they're just like an ethnic group, a subset of Egypt, where they are. Um, the Egyptians become afraid of them and therefore hate them, um, do all kinds of things to crush them, including killing their children, enslaving them, all these kinds of things. And then God hears the cry of the Israelites, remembers the covenant that he made with um, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he makes a plan to bring about salvation. Um, so the Exodus story to me, I mean, when you break it down, the first part you've got is the, the rescue from Egyptian slavery. That's like chapters 1 to 18-ish. And then you've got the formation of the Sinai covenant where God brings Israel out and he says, you guys are going to be my special people. You're going to belong to me. I'm going to belong to you. We're going to do something here. All the stuff I said to Abraham about bringing salvation, Let's do it. Let's, let's work together on this. But I need you to obey me, listen to my voice, et cetera. Uh, and then you've got pretty much the rest of the book is about God formulating a circumstance where he can actually live among the Israelites, tabernacle, priesthood, all that kind of stuff in order to facilitate a close relationship. So the actual rescue, escape from Egypt, the formulation of the covenant relationship and then the construction of an environment with the tabernacle and priesthood and all that stuff for God to live with Israel. Um, to me, and, and I don't know what you think about this, but, uh, well, we, I think we may have talked about this, so I think we could probably say about the same thing here. The, the message of the book of Exodus, that's, that's just what happens. That's the action, the outline of the book of Exodus. But the message of it is in, uh, well, 
I think it's found in a few verses. For instance, chapter five and verse one, God sends Moses, who is introduced in the book of Exodus, and he's going to be the one who's going to save Israel from their troubles. Um, in Exodus five and verse one, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and say, hey, let us go to honor God in the wilderness. Verse two, but Pharaoh said, who is Yahweh? that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know Yahweh. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Which I guess I skipped over another key verse because back in chapter four, Moses was really concerned about, or chapter three, excuse me. He was really concerned about, hey, you know, God, you want me to go save the people, but if I show up, what am I supposed to tell him about who sent me? And God says, well, I am who I am, but you tell him Yahweh sent you. You tell him Yahweh sent you, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here, Pharaoh's question is kind of the question of the book. Who is Yahweh? Right. It seems like the Israelites had that question. They didn't really know. They knew kind of, at this point, I think it would be fair to say they're basically legends about their ancestor, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they're looking around. They're like, I don't see him around here. I see all the Egyptian gods. I see all their temples. And it doesn't really look like he's doing much for us. So who is Yahweh? Who is he? And and then chapter 7. God speaks about Pharaoh's rebellion. And in verse five of chapter seven, God says, the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as Yahweh commanded. So here, not only does Pharaoh ask the question, but God says, I'm going to give you all an answer. And so all the plagues that were brought upon Egypt, the rescue of Israel from slavery, even the laws that are given in chapters 19 through 24, all the tabernacle stuff, it's supposed to help the people recognize the true nature of God. In Genesis, God is kind of mysterious. Like he comes in, he comes out, he does things, but it's, um, he's, he's also very personal with people in Genesis. And there's less of a sort of standardized Here's who I am. Here's what I'm about. There's some things that are brought out, but it's just not very clear necessarily. But Exodus brings a lot of clarity to things like the power of God, the justice of God, things that were introduced in Genesis, but they come in a more established and globally known kind of way because God used the Egyptians, the most powerful um, nation and people in that area of the world. God used this people to demonstrate his greatness. And I'll say one more thing. You may want to add some stuff about Exodus, but to me, the climax of this this idea, which to me is, is the theme of, of the book of Exodus, who is God? What is, what is the nature of Yahweh God? It's in chapter 34 where he appears to Moses. And in verse six, it says Yahweh, chapter 34, Exodus 34, verse six, Yahweh passed before Moses and proclaimed Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But it will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses understandably bows low and worships before him. But this is kind of the climactic summation of this is who I am. I'm a God of mercy and kindness and grace and compassion and all those things. I'm also a God who hates sin and I'm holy and I'm just and I have wrath against sin and evil in the world and I'll punish that. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. Now come here if you want it, you know, and that's yeah. kind of the big idea of, of the book of Exodus. Yeah. 
So if Genesis is kind of an introduction uh, to God, then Exodus is kind of a reintroduction to God, right? Um, not just for not just for Israel, but also as you point out for Egypt, and even beyond that, when we get into like when they get into the wilderness, it's like everybody in the, in the wilderness has heard about Yahweh now. Right. And uh, and then when later on when we get into the book of Joshua, we're going to find out hey, there's people in the promised land who already know about this God because of what he did in Egypt. Which is decades later. I mean, by that point, uh, 40 years have transpired. So, I mean, it's really a fan. It's a way of God making his name known and becoming famous uh, in the world. That's right. So, and then Exodus ends with like this uh, strange story of... Uh, you know, um, they build this tabernacle and Moses is about to enter the tabernacle, but he can't actually get in because the glory of the Lord is too great and his presence is too great. Um, but it kind of leaves you with this question of, uh, you know, can, can a holy God end up dwelling with unholy people without everybody dying? Um, and Leviticus is kind of an answer to that question. Um, you know, God wants to dwell with his people. and That's very clear from the book of Exodus. Um, but because of Israel's sin, um, there's kind of this wall or this barrier. And so Exodus is written, I think, to answer the key question of how can a holy God dwell among sinful or unholy people without everybody getting destroyed? Um, and, uh, one of the key verses, uh, in the book of Exodus comes in Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 44, um, where the Lord says, uh, I am Yahweh your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. And you shall not make for yourselves unclean with any, you shall not make yourselves unclean with any swarming things that swarm on the earth, for I am Yahweh who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. So as I see it, the book of Leviticus is all about how to how to become holy. So that, so that the people can dwell in the presence of a holy God. And so the book starts with these rituals and sacrifices. Um, it talks about those who come near to God. Uh, the priests are supposed to give special attention to holiness and making sure that they're clean. And when they don't, in, Ex in uh, Leviticus chapter 10, God strikes de dead two priests who didn't, who didn't treat him as holy. And he says to Aaron, their father, hey, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. Um, so uh, you've got these sacrifices, you've got these, uh, the, the priesthood, then you've got all these purity rituals uh, in the book. And, and really the climax of the book seems to be um, this, this particular ritual that involves sacrifices known as Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16, um, where you've got this uh, special day that is set aside where for one, on one occasion, this one day of the year, the priest will be able to enter into, the only the high priest will be able to enter in just one time into the most holy place. And, uh, and again, this is a picture of God wants to dwell with his people. God wants to have his people come into his presence, but there's so much that must be done in order to prepare the people uh, to be able to come into his uh, his presence. And so the, the big thing that I think Leviticus leaves us with is God wants to be with his people, but in order for his people to come into his presence, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that must take place in order for an unholy people to become holy and come into the presence of a holy God. 
which feeds into the book of Numbers. So maybe one good thing to mention from Exodus 19 through Numbers chapter 10. So you're looking at uh, one whole book, the entire book of Leviticus, over half of Exodus, and a good chunk of Numbers is all spent at Mount Sinai. Israel comes out of, Moses brings them out of Egypt. God through Moses brings them out of Egypt. They come to Mount Sinai, and that's where they really become a nation. God gives them the covenant, the laws that they're going to follow. The tabernacle is, uh, the instructions are given. It's constructed. The priesthood is set up and instituted. All kinds of things happen right there at Sinai, kind of this long national retreat where they're getting prepped. And then they're going to start their journey into the land. Um, And the book of Numbers should be this really exciting book. Okay, we've seen throughout history, God even though humans are evil, God is going to bring about good. And if you wonder how he can bring about good, well, the story of the Exodus will show you how. He's powerful. He's just. He's wise. He's compassionate. He's all these great. He hears the prayers of his people. He keeps, you know, he's all these great things. This, who is Yahweh? He's a, he, is, he is a good God. That's how he can bring about good, even through human evil. But he is so good. It takes special preparations and requirements to actually be able to be near him. He's not like any other God. He's a holy God. Right. Leviticus, you got to be ready. Boom, we're ready. Bam, we're going to go. And the people leave. And you can imagine the hope and excitement of God's going to take us to the promised land, the land that was promised to our forefathers nearly 500 years ago. This is just incredible. It's going to be so exciting. But the book of Numbers is not an exciting book. It's a really sad book. And one way you can tell that is there's a numbering of the people at the beginning of the book and at the end of it, which spans a 40 year period. Very different from Leviticus, which is like in less than a year of time is covered in the code there. But the number uh, at the beginning of the book, it's like 603,000 and some change fighting men. And the end of the book is 601,000 and some change. There's no growth in the people. There's no expansion. There's no development of their nation. If anything, they decrease because throughout their time in the 40 years in the book of Numbers, they die. I mean, that's, the book is just filled with death. Uh, the title, of, the original title of the book, as I understand it, was not Numbers, but In the Wilderness, which sounds like a cool movie, but it's actually really an ominous title for this book because rather than quickly entering the promised land, they end up dying in the wilderness and spending 40 years because especially in numbers 13 and 14, they rebel against God's direction and they don't trust in the Lord. They don't think they can make it into the land. And God says, okay, if you guys don't trust me again, which this was not the first time they had throughout from the time they left Egypt up until this time over this year and a half ish period, um, they just wouldn't, they wouldn't trust God. They wouldn't listen to him. They wouldn't seek his face. And yet what's amazing to me is, is God doesn't blow him off the face of the earth. And it's amazing because there's, there's a moment where he says, hey, maybe I'll just do that. Moses, get out of the way. Let me just blow these people away and start over with you. And he doesn't. So I, I don't know about you. I mean, numbers is a little bit harder, I think, in some ways to uh, pin down. Here is the central message. For me, it is at least. Mm-hmm. Some of those other ones is a little bit clearer. But to me, the one that stands out is the contrast of the faithlessness of the people and the faithfulness of God, both faithfulness in terms of he does punish whenever he says he's going to punish them. He does. Right. He's also faithful in that he doesn't give up on his promises. He doesn't give up on the people. He continues with them in the wilderness and kind of frankly, in a way that makes him look bad. I mean, these people, they're 
in the wilderness. Like that's kind of lame. They should, they defeated the Egyptians and now they're just in the desert. What kind of God does that to their people? And yet Yahweh said, okay, even if I take a little bit of a hit on my name, I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to stay with you and I'm going to work with you. Uh, I'm going to keep my promises of judgment and punishment and wrath against sin, but I'm also going to keep my promises to preserve my people and to bless them. And um, so to me, that's, that's kind of the big idea that I take from the book of numbers is the, the, I guess the requirement of faithfulness, God demonstrating it himself, but also punishing Israel in that they are not faithful to him. I don't know. What do you think about some number stuff is where, cause that kind of is the direct lead into Deuteronomy, but. Yeah. So to just to support your point, you know, the big one of the last big stories in the book of Numbers is you got these people who are down in the wilderness uh, about to, you know, um, close to going into the promised land. Um, and they're grumbling and complaining and whining. And uh, and not only that, but eventually involved in idolatry and immorality. And uh, and there's this king who's afraid of this nation who's coming who is who calls on uh, this prophet Balaam to come and curse them, and while the people are down there deserving of every curse in the world, um, God is up on the mountain turning this prophet's curses into yeah. blessings and yeah. blessing his people. And it is kind of just a shocking picture of of really how um, patient the Lord is and how uh, faithful the Lord is to His promises. Um, because ultimately they do get struck with the plague for the wickedness that they're doing down below. But it's a reminder that God is not going to give up on those promises he made all the way back in Genesis to, um, to his servant Abraham. And, uh, and I think that's kind of the big picture we've seen so far. Really, that theme in Numbers is really kind of the big picture from Genesis through uh, the whole Torah, that in spite of man's unfaithfulness, God is still faithful. Um, he is faithful and righteous to judge, and he will judge the wicked. The wicked will not go unpunished to go back to uh, Exodus 34. At the same time, he's also faithful to keep his promises. And when God makes a promise, he's going to be true to it. And what we see throughout the Torah is that all those who will call on him from a humble heart, all those who will trust him, they actually are preserved. Um, and even in Numbers, you see that, right? I can't, we can't get past Numbers without mentioning the two guys who made it in. Um, one of which I was named after, uh, you know, Caleb and Joshua. God is faithful. And those who will trust him, even if everybody else abandons him, God will protect them. God will. I love the fact that in Numbers, God is defending uh, Moses. He's defending Caleb and Joshua. He's defending the people who are standing up for him um, over and over again when, uh, when people are complaining or rebelling against them. Yeah. Yeah, and, and a lot of these things that we've hit on, feed directly into Deuteronomy. For instance, Moses is going to get on the people about their evil, which is kind of always funny to me because these are the kids who grew up. It's their parents who did most of the evil. Some of them did too, to be sure. Right. Um, but but he, he speaks about evil. And yet in that context, he speaks about God's goodness to them. Well, that, that's the beginning story. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Um, he talks a lot about God's actions throughout the history of Israel. And even in the instructions and commandments that he gives in Deuteronomy, he'll say things like, uh, you need to treat the stranger well because you were troubled. You were strangers and God cared for you. God took you in, you know? So he appeals to the character of Yahweh, the book of Exodus. Who is Yahweh? Well, the reason why it's important is because it informs the way you live. 
and the idea of holiness. Don't go to the other gods. So many of the warnings in Deuteronomy appeal to don't turn to other gods. Don't be a part of the idolatry of the nations because you have a holy God and you got to be a holy people. Don't you remember? Go back to Leviticus. Remember all the things we do to show that you got to be holy to God. And then, of course, this idea of faithfulness, if anything, that is uh, like you said, that's the climactic message, both of God being faithful in his goodness and in his character and in his holiness. That's what makes him holy is that he's so faithful. Uh, one of the main things, at least, that makes him so holy. Uh, but you got to be faithful, too. It's not good enough that your parents did this stuff. It's not good enough that you've heard the law before. you got to stick with God and don't fall like so many people in the past have. So all these things are kind of building blocks that really the book of Deuteronomy is kind of the crescendo of all these uh, concepts and ideas. Maybe before we pivot just to do a few minutes where, I mean, we spend most of our time on this background stuff and kind of the Torah big picture, but um, before we kind of do a quick overview of, of Deuteronomy as far as its layout and theme, maybe we could do a, a minute or two on Moses. Like if you had to kind of give somebody a minute and a half on the importance of Moses, the significance of Moses, we're going to probably keep coming back to this as we go through Deuteronomy because he's, he is the central figure just right next to the Lord himself uh, in, in Deuteronomy. What, what, do you, what do you think is worth kind of setting up about Moses or recapping about Moses as a character in world history, human history, Bible history, God's plan, et cetera? Yeah, so um, my favorite summary of Moses' life is uh, those, like, basically five or six verses in, uh, in Hebrews 11 that talk about Moses. So yeah. it, it talks about how Moses was, like, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Um, and, and they, his parents were fearless. So, uh, so they protected him when he was young and God saved him. God spared him whenever, when all the other Israelite children were getting destroyed, but then he ends up getting, um, saved through a river, um, ship, like floating down a river. And he just so happens that this basket with this baby and it ends up at Pharaoh's doorstep. And so what's amazing about Moses, the real, the real amazing thing about Moses is that he, because of his faith in God, he gives up the palace life with all the pleasures that come with that to, to choose and chooses to endure ill treatment with the people of God rather than enjoying the passing pleasures of sin. Um, which, of course, in that way, you're starting to see, and we haven't touched on this much, but really in all four of these books, we, there, are, there are really all four of these books entirely are going to be fulfilled in the Messiah. And Moses himself is kind of a foreshadowing of the Messiah in this sort of way. It gives up the, the, the riches of being king and it, to come down with the commoners and suffer ill treatment with the commoner. And, and I mean, you think about it, like this guy goes from, from uh, spending a good chunk of his early life in luxury to spending the rest of his life in the wilderness, basically, you know, mm -hmm. either in the wilderness or um, enduring the plagues with the Israelites in Egypt, right. um, you know, so. And he emphasizes uh, that a lot in Deuteronomy. Yeah. I carried you guys, like, I, you guys have been a burden to me, which is very reminiscent of, of what Jesus does for us. That's right. That's right. So, I mean, that's kind of the, the big thing is what you see with Moses is you see him kind of uh, foreshadowing Jesus in so many ways. One of the ways is in the wilderness, he gives the law on the mountain, um, you know, and he, he, he delivers the people through the, the Red Sea. He takes them out to the mountain, gives, gives them the law. And then constantly when the people are rebelling and complaining and grumbling, and God is like, let me just wipe them off the face of the map. Moses is constantly interceding for the people, begging God to be merciful, 
um, you know, uh, asking God to remember his name and remember what, what will people think about you if you were to wipe these people off the face of the earth. Um, and again, that kind of points us back to Jesus, our, our intercessor, who is constantly interceding for us as his people. Uh, so I, I think, you know, the, the big things to remember about Moses is he's a redeemer and he wasn't, he, he wasn't satisfied with his own freedom. He loved his people enough that he said, even though I'm free, I'm going to go back and I'm going to save the slaves and, and rescue them uh, and do God's work to rescue the others who are caught in slavery. Yeah. That's a good summary. I like that a lot. And Deuteronomy is kind of his, his crowning work. Yeah. Of not only saving them through his actions, like he did in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and his teaching and stuff, but now he's trying to leave them instructions, uh, obviously moved by God's spirit to do this, but he's leaving them uh, sort of legacy salvation in terms of giving them these last words, these last instructions, pouring out his heart. Some of it's just a retelling of exact commandments, but some of it is more like grandpa Moses sitting down his, his grandkids and saying, listen, I need to tell y'all some stuff. You need to watch out for this. You need to be ready for that. And a lot of Deuteronomy is, is the summation of a whole life of service and sacrifice and selflessness that, that Moses exhibits. Yeah. So maybe real quick before we wrap up, lay out of the book and then maybe we'll hit some of the key keywords or key ideas kind of themes of the book for, for those who might be uh, reading through it. The first four chapters of the book are basically a recap of a few of the stories that we've hit on mostly from numbers, frankly, a little bit from Exodus to Exodus and numbers, I guess I should say um, you can see, and there's a, a couple places where this happens in the book, like in five, one or sorry, one, one, these are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel blah, blah, blah. And then he starts talking five, one, there's another break where it says, and Moses summoned all Israel. It sounds like maybe there had been that first speech and then there had been a break. And then Moses gets everybody back together to talk to him again. You see that again, the next time that exact language is used is in chapter 27. Now Moses and the elders of the people commanded the people. So there's a break in Moses teaching and a introduction to a new section. I will say for me, it sure seems like even though there's no um, little comment like this to break it up, it seems like five through 11 and then 12 through 26 are kind of two different. There's two different moods, at least to it. Five through 11 is much more reflective and introspective. And it's about your character and attitude toward God and his law. 12 through 26 gets into a lot of the details. So I'm not sure if that was one long speech or if those are a couple that just kind of get mashed together. Anyway, um, if you go again to chapter 29, these are the words of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab besides the covenant. Anyway, my point is, and there's a few different spots where this happens. You can kind of tell there's different setups or settings to the, these different speeches. And I'm sure there are people who are much more well-versed that break it down really specifically and, and probably have very good reasons for that. But I think just as a, when you're reading it, noticing those breaks is a helpful way to see, okay, maybe there's a little bit of a shift in what I need to focus on here or what the emphasis is, even the audience. Like sometimes Moses is speaking to all Israel. Sometimes it's Moses and some of the other leaders speaking to Israel. Sometimes it's Moses pulling aside the priests or Moses pulling aside Joshua. And there's all these different uh, discourses and conversations that are happening. And I think seeing the heart of Moses, this guy that you just outlined through these uh, speeches is really important. It's easy to read a book like Deuteronomy, like, man, this is kind of dry. It's just, rules, laws, 
But if you see it as a man who's given his whole life to saving people out of sin, to bringing them to the goodness of God, to understand the true nature of God, to be holy even as he is holy, to learn to be faithful, because Moses, as much as God is faithful, Moses is too. All these things we've talked about through the rest of the Torah, Deuteronomy is, is Moses pouring out all that stuff and laying it all on the table for the people to pick up. So that's kind of big picture, just the, the layout of the book. And as, as you're reading, that's something to, to notice, I think. Um, what would you say are some, a couple of key ideas or keywords that are good while we're reading? Because it is, it does get to be kind of a jumble of rules that frankly don't apply to Christians, old covenant, new covenant stuff. This in terms of the specifics is stuff for people of the old covenant. We have a lot of the character characteristics and heart of the law obviously carries over in Christ but the specifics are different. So it can be even more like, man, why am I reading this? Who cares about laws regarding leveret marriage or who cares about what to do whenever you invade the land of Canaan and whether you're supposed to chop down trees or not chop down trees, what does that have to do with me? What would you say are just some, some key fundamental core ideas that as we're reading, we can, we can notice and pay attention to. Well, so uh, the, when it comes to like key words in the book for me or key ideas in the book, the first thing that comes up, uh, in my mind is this, this idea of remembering, um, which goes back to what we talked about at the beginning, Deuteronomy being like the second law. Why is he repeating all this stuff again? Why is he saying this over and over again? Um, don't, hadn't, hadn't, hasn't a lot of this stuff already happened and already been said? And, and of course, the answer to that is yes. Um, but he's saying it again because they are quick to forget. Yeah. And he's saying it again because we are quick to forget. Um, and really, I think that is at the heart of uh, the purpose of Deuteronomy is the fact that this is a new generation who didn't see all the judgments that their um, fathers experienced, didn't see all the deliverances that their fathers experienced. Um, some of them had seen it, and, or, or they had seen some of them, but, uh, but, but Moses is trying to remind them of what the Lord did and what the Lord has said. And, and I think just that concept is really helpful for us. We are a people who always want to hear uh, something new. Um, in fact, I think that's why podcasts are so big is because we like to learn about new things. You know, we like to hear about things that we don't yet know um, or hear people talk about things. And, and, and we love to grow in knowledge and understanding and wisdom. And there's nothing, in, nothing at all wrong about that. God has created us that way. But one of the things that is important for us to remember is that oftentimes what we need rather than learning things that are new is to remember the things that we've already been taught. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Deuteronomy is really helpful with that. Um, it, you see that not just in Deuteronomy, you see that all throughout the Bible. Um, if, if transformation, as the Bible argues, comes through the renewal of the mind, then a lot of what we need is to, to be made new again and again to be taught again and again the things that we've already been taught. And I think if you think about it, at the times in your life where you have stumbled and you have fallen, um, if you were to describe why did that happen, I think at least part of the answer would be in every case because of forgetfulness. Uh, there are things that I forgot about God. There are things that I forgot about how bad sin really was. And actually, I think this is, this is really interesting. Deuteronomy comes on the heels of Numbers where the people are remembering Egypt, but they're misremembering Egypt. Yeah. Like they're remembering Egypt in ways that are not even true. Like they talk about how much 
how wonderful it was in Egypt and all these sorts of, which was not true at all. When you read Exodus, they're crying and groaning and screaming and begging to get out. And then once they're out, they're begging to get back in. It's like, you know, but that's what happens sometimes is we misremember uh, what life was like before we were in Christ. We, we misremember what our life was like before we had the Lord. And, uh, and so Deuteronomy is kind of a reminder of, hey, remember what the Lord has done. Remember where you used to be. He'll, he'll say in this book, uh, remember how you used to be slaves in Egypt. Um, and, uh, and the Lord brought you out of there by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Uh, that's in chapter 5 and verse 15. Um, so, uh, so, so much of this is just going to be about not forgetting what the Lord has done, but remembering him and what he said to them. And I think that's helpful what you're saying, because even a lot of the commandments are just reminders, not of, Hey guys, don't forget, uh, treat the poor, right? I mean, there were, that already been written down. They didn't need to be reminded of that, but they didn't be reminded because you were once poor and God saved you. So it's to your point, really the whole, the theme of remembering in Deuteronomy, even though a lot of it is specific laws. I mean, mean, that's a great, a great majority of book of Deuteronomy is is about, Hey, do this, don't do that, et cetera. But the the kind of difference here is the emphasis on this law, this actual act of obedience is meant to remind you about something about God. Every time you help the poor, every time you're not bowing down to an idol, it's a moment for you to remember and reflect upon the true nature of Yahweh the good God who brings about good out of evil, the holy God who's been faithful to you. You need to be reminded of that yeah. um, because, and that's, I think that's where another uh, thing that we were, that's good to notice is this sort of these companion words of listening to God and loving God, yeah. which to be fair, I don't know those words get used a whole lot, but they get used in really important places, particularly I'm thinking about chapter six and chapter 30, which is near the very beginning and the very end of the book. This notion of you need to pay attention to what God has told you because that's the only way you're going to understand how to align your life with him. That's the only way you're going to be able to love him is if you actually know him and you know what he thinks and you know what he wants and you can live in accordance with that. Uh, And so often we can, I mean, we just, well, I guess I shouldn't say we, I can get caught up in my own thoughts. I can listen to my own heart and my own feelings and my own whatevers. And ultimately what that leads me away from is love. It's not certainly not loving other people normally, uh, unless I just get lucky and something I want ends up being something that is a sort of loving thing, but I don't know if that even counts as love. And it's certainly not loving to God because it's me thinking about my interest and my will and my opinion and my wisdom and all that stuff. And Moses is saying, Hey, I've given you this law. I'm reminding you of stories so that you'll remember how great the Lord is. And therefore you will listen to him and love him and not love your past. Like you were saying they were doing in the book of numbers, which is a great call on that, that they would, they were looking back and totally perverting their own personal history uh, and national history. Don't love that. Uh, Don't love yourself. Don't love this world. Don't love the idols. I mean, he warns them about falling in love with the nations around them and the idols and false gods and all that. Listen to the Lord. Love the Lord. Don't forget who he is. Remember what he's done and remember who he is so that you'll do well. And that actually is the punchline. It's not, you're going to go through all this hardship. It's going to stink. Moses talks a lot about when you go in the land and if you do this, if you remember the Lord, if you listen to him, if you love him, it's going to go well with you. That's your right. life's going to be right. And that's ultimately some of the things we've been saying about as a foreshadowing of the gospel. 
God doesn't promise that our life here and now in a temporal sense is always going to go well. Although for Israel, if they serve God, that was the promise. That's not the promise for us. But the promise is that in the end, we'll meet the Lord. We'll be raised up from the dead. We'll be exalted. We'll be saved. And it'll go well with us if we remember the Lord, if we listen to him, if we love him. So those, those themes, I think, are really just eminently contemporary, no matter what the audience, no matter what the situation. There may have been particulars for Israel that aren't exactly the same for us and other times in history and other places in the world, and certainly not under a different covenant, which we're under. But those fundamental concepts of remembering the Lord, listening to the Lord, and loving the Lord are constantly valuable. Yeah, you know, I think about Deuteronomy is kind of like a book to remind these children how to not end up dead like their parents, right? Um, you know, how, how to not become an unfaithful Israelite. And, and so, much of, so much of that for us is not just remembering what God has commanded, but why God gives these commands. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think maybe just on a practical level for us, one thing that's really important for us is to not only think about um, what are the commands of God, but to think about why is the Lord giving us these commands and how are these commands, uh, you know, a reflection of who God is himself and, a reflect, and, and how are these commands meant to draw us closer to him and meant to help us? Because if you just look at the commandments and if you just look at uh, the burdens and the challenges of, uh, of being a disciple of Christ, just like the Israelites, you can start grumbling, you can start complaining, you can become ungrateful, you can, you can lose your trust in the Lord. Um, but if you look beyond just the commands and you look at where they're coming from and the God who has given them and who he is and what he has accomplished and what he's trying to accomplish through them, then you have more than sufficient motivation to be submissive to the actual commands himself. And that's what Moses is doing as he pours out his heart to them. He's telling them, you know, here's the rules. But he's also telling them, here's your God and here's what your God has done for you. And here's who your God is, what your God is trying to do in you and through you. Um, and, and the same is true for us today. I think remembering who God is and what he's begun in us and what he's trying to accomplish in us is the key to helping us to, uh, to be submissive to his commands uh, that he gives us. Amen. That's a pretty good place to stop. I think I love that. Thanks, everybody. Um, this is probably a little too long. We'll try to tighten it up in future ones, but we were covering a lot. That was a lot of stuff. So hopefully this helps you out. And, uh, and hopefully, if, if anything, if you haven't read, maybe you're, you're listening, you've never really read the Bible very much, um, but you want to love God, you want to know more about God, hopefully this is giving you a little introduction, a little taste to read some of these really important books of the Bible. If you want to start with Deuteronomy, you can jump in right here, or obviously go back to some of those, some of those others. Um, and hopefully for all of us, these are good reflections and things to help us. Think about the Lord better and serve him better. So God bless you. If there's anything we can do for you at all, we know right now there's a lot of difficulties in life and difficult times. Reach out to us. You can reach out to us on uh, on the web, thewaybk.com. You can message us on our Facebook page, The Way BK. That may be a little bit easier for you. Um, we're trying to put up video links on YouTube and uh, content on Facebook. There's a variety of Bible studies we do via Zoom or personal Bible studies we do over the phone or Skype or whatever. So whatever we can do to help you out in your walk and in your journey, um, let us know. Don't hesitate. We want to we wanna be here for our neighbors and our friends here in Brooklyn and beyond. So God help us all, and uh, God bless you. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. 
The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.